Now for Miletus, he sent us to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if I only may finish my course and the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you, not none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I do not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night nor day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must keep the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all, and they embraced Paul and kissed him, bringing sorrowful most of all because of the words he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is the word of the Lord. Please take your seats. Good morning, everybody. Next week, the elders are going to take us in an introductory fashion into the book of Exodus. But for this morning, we have a lot in store for us this fall as a church. Some major decisions have been made, incredible decisions in my opinion. And so this morning we're going to address and talk about some of the plans for the future of my family and our church and what God wants to do in us through the fall as we step by faith into the expansion of the kingdom of God as we plant more churches, as you as a church take on your responsibility in 
multiplying the fruit of the gospel here in the community of Burien and throughout the South End. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, because you said goodbye to your father and you came here so that you could rescue us, because you endured the ultimate separation, the ultimate loss of relationship with your father, we now have everlasting and assured relationship with you and with each other. The fact that you said goodbye to your father so that we could say hello to you and to each other eternally now comforts us, consoles us, and gracious God, you compel us by that same love to send one another in gospel commissioning on the mission of Jesus to make disciples. And you have, in your grace, given to the church apostles, prophets, pastor, teachers, and evangelists for the equipping of the saints. And it has become a sure thing by the work of your spirit and in consensus in this community that my family has been anointed and called as an apostolic family to go and break new ground to plant new churches. And this church, in her maturity, in her incredible risk-taking faith, has embraced that calling to send my family to, to say goodbye. <laughs> Father, as, as Paul wept, it wasn't all pain and loss. There was great gain. And so I'm asking that our church and even my family in this season of obedience would be bolstered and strengthened by the work of the Holy Spirit. I am honestly praying that I won't ugly cry my way through this entire sermon this morning. And so... Help us to put together in the grace of God perspective and process of sending these deeply entangled relationships into another city to create more deeply entangled relationships. That's what the church is. Until the day you finally return or till the day we die and this whole thing is finally done and we see the fruit of our efforts. We glorify you now in Jesus' name. Amen. I will keep it together. Life is full of hellos and goodbyes. Relationships form, relationships evolve, and relationships transform. That is just the nature of how humanity works. We form new relationships. Those relationships in some cases end or transform, and some of those relationships actually end. Some goodbyes are bad goodbyes, and some goodbyes are good goodbyes. For example... In a breakup between boyfriend and girlfriend, whoever is getting dumped, that's a bad goodbye. <laughs> that's a painful experience. And whoever's doing the dumping, though it's painful, is it's, it's usually a good experience. Okay, I'm finally free from this situation. Good goodbyes, bad goodbyes. And because the church is full of relationships, that's what the church is. It is a network of intertangled relationships 
of introductions and departures, of hellos and goodbyes, there are bad goodbyes that happen in a church community and there are good goodbyes that happen in a church community. A couple hundred years ago, Jonathan Edwards preached this sermon in his community saying and titling his sermon, a farewell sermon preached at the first precinct at Northampton after the people's public rejection of their minister and renouncing their relation to him as pastor of the church there on June 22nd, 1750, occasioned by differences of sentiments concerning the requisite qualifications of members of the church in complete standing. That's Jonathan Edwards' way of saying, I got fired and my last sermon with you guys was, peace out, homies, I'm done, see you later. It was a bad goodbye. And we see that throughout church history. We've seen that in this church. Bad goodbyes brought on by church conflict, brought on by relational issues, brought on by really sin and selfishness. Bad goodbyes. But because the gospel is a message of invitation, the gospel is also on the flip side of its face a, a message of sending. And so there are requisite times in a gospel-formed community where there are going to be goodbyes that are actually very good. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. I want us to begin the emotional process, which I think we've already entered into, some of us, very deeply, of gospel goodbying through the fall. We were going to call this message gospel goodbyes as if it's happening today, but it's not. My wife and I and our family are not actually moving yet. We will be moving this fall, but the process of beginning to actually say goodbye one unto another is what I wanted to address today, and there's no greater text than this passage here in Acts chapter 20. There are thousands of things and really five to ten sermons that could be preached from this Acts chapter 20 passage, the Pauline departure from Miletus as he addresses the elders of Ephesus. But for our time this morning, we just want to explore the emotional experiences of that first century community, what they went through and what they were thinking about and how they handled it as they sent their brother Paul off to fulfill his ministry, his church planting endeavors. And by the way, is it not absolutely exhilarating to you? Because it is to me. I continue to say that this is the most incredible time in my Christian experience in the church. And this is why. We're reading something that took place in the first century church 2,000 years ago. And here we are doing it today. Taproot. We literally are living the book of Acts. We literally are living out the story of the Bible. And the reason I find this so incredible is because when I first became a Christian 20 years ago, I envisioned this very thing, raising up communities of faith, turning those communities of faith over to solid, qualified elders, and going and doing it again. I just didn't realize that the timeline for doing that and the process by which God would prepare me to do that wouldn't look anything like I expected. But over this last year, as this calling has come into clarity, it has become such an incredible experience for me to, to experience the Holy Spirit doing this work in the church to send us. We are literally living the book of Acts. So the first thing we want to do this morning is just lay out some practical family planning plans. And I can't get my slides to work this morning. There we go. Um, I want to go to that next slide and skip that first one. Here's the basic plans for what's going to be happening next through the fall. Um, I have begun the fundraising process uh, 
I knew when we brought this to the elders, one of my core convictions was that I would not be, my family would not be an overly heavy financial burden on Taproot Church. And I also don't want to be an overly heavy financial burden on the church plant in San Diego, Park Hill Church. And so all of us, both churches are dealing with minimal budgets, some budget shortfalls as we get here into the fall. And so what I'm doing is a process that Paul engaged in, which is fundraising, raising up support from outside of these churches, some support to come from within this church, some support to come from within Park Hill Church. But primarily, I'm trying to raise my salary over the next three years so that I can go to San Diego and my family can be fully funded to focus on getting that church up and off the ground and building in a healthy DNA. I would ask you guys to please pray for this process. At age 40, um, I'm leaving a very solid career, very solid income, and I'm telling you that I used to love bungee jumping and downhill ski racing, and I loved going fast and being upside down, and even when we moved to Seattle, my kids were babies. It was like, yes, this is awesome, huge risk, God's going to provide. Well, now I'm 40, I've got teenagers, I'm going to a zero-income situation in like the fifth most expensive city in the entire United States of America, and I can't tell you how many times I've been waking up at 2 o'clock in the morning just going, ah! So please just pray that this process here through September and October just surprises my wife and I with ridiculous favor and that I would continue to believe that the birds ate breakfast this morning and so I'm of more value than those birds. God will provide breakfast for my family as well. Number two. We're going to be preparing our home for sale. We're working on that right now through September, and we're looking to list our home probably in early October, looking at a 30-day closing on our home sale, and then trying to actually make the move down to San Diego the last week of November. Those are the general timelines. So the cannon is being aimed towards San Diego. The fuse is being lit. Launch is going to be prayerfully that last week of November. The reason for that is when we get there in December, we start an Advent series and we will actually birth, officially launch Park Hill Church Christmas Eve 2017. And then we will be on the ground going and running. We're going to try to bring Evan and Sandy up here, the the couple that we're partnering with to plant this church so you guys can meet them, have them lead you in worship. Evan is without question one of the most gifted worship leaders I've ever been around in my entire life. Also a phenomenal preacher and teacher. In the interim through the fall, so you guys know what's going on, Park Hill has a very small and limited budget, but they are actually flying me down there every other week or every couple of weeks. The elders have given me release, and I am helping them frame up the vision series for Park Hill Church going into 2018. We're in the book of Ephesians at Park Hill, so I'm involved in teachers' meetings. I'll be going down there. Actually, even next weekend, I'll be down there preaching and helping build out and frame out that DNA. The weeks that I'm here, I'm going to be working with the elders on the book of Exodus. So I know that sounds like a lot, but for a Bible nerd like me, it's just a great time. I'm just buried in the book of Exodus. I'm buried in the book of Ephesians and all the connections, and I just find myself going, oh, wow, ah, amazing. And so uh, it's a lot of hours of work, but it's absolutely delightful work. Number five, yes, we're going to be launching uh, the church Christmas Eve. And then number six, something that I think is important for you guys to know the elders have already been prayerfully considering a, a couple different candidates. There's been a number of names that have come through. And so they are in a prayerful process, and candidates are in a prayerful process. Hear this clearly. Not to find somebody to replace me. I'm me, which means I'm one of a kind. Which means if you expect... <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> the good, the bad, and the ugly. There are not any other me's out there in the world. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. Oh, it's going to be tough to leave this sarcastic, snarky little church. <laughs> they are looking for guys with gift sets that I don't have. I'm a builder. Uh, I like, I do like, I feel like my family and I, we thrive well in the chaos. Taproot has been chaos from the replant to the collapse of Mars Hill. It's just been one chaos after another. And things aren't looking like super smooth sailing. The church is never smooth sailing, but you guys are positioned incredibly well. And the guy that comes in next probably needs to have a pretty expansive uh, systems vision and be uh, a communicator, but be part of that team. The elders of this church are just so incredibly gifted and so qualified, and so they're praying about that. One of those guys is actually here today. Luis, I told you I was going to do this. Would you just raise up your hand? Luis, are you in here? Luis Castellano and his, and his wife Amanda are here today. They're here from Roseburg, Oregon, and they're, they're praying and considering and uh, they're kind of checking out you guys, so all of you guys better be on your best behavior today. <laughs> don't, don't do anything silly today. So you need to be praying. Luis is just a very sweet and precious brother, extremely gifted, working on his MDiv at Southern um, in Spanish right now. And so brilliantly gifted young dude. I've really enjoyed being around them. They're here for the weekend. Some of our leaders are going to be meeting with them. We've been hanging out with them for the weekend and just spending time getting to know them. That does not mean that that's necessarily the calling, but this is the process that our church is in through the fall. So we want you guys to have a heads up on that and be praying through that. With all that said, with that laid out, let's look at the emotional process that these church family members of the first century went through in saying goodbye to Paul and in actually sending him. I've divided it really into three parts. We're not going to go through the text verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We're just going to draw out of it some principles in ways in which we as a church through the fall can be healthy in this gospel goodbyeing of one another, loving each other as we are sent to San Diego to help plant Park Hill Church. It's a threefold process that I distilled down out of the passage of recognizing, resolving and remembering. Gospel goodbyeing is a process of recognizing, resolving and remembering. These threefold kind of triperspectival ways of processing goodbyes one unto another are going to build out for us a really healthy fall season. Let's look first here. Number 1, gospel goodbyeing recognizes. What does it recognize? Uh, it recognizes the loss. Um, it recognizes the change. It doesn't, gospel goodbying is not us just going to gloss over and say, all right, whoopee scoopy doo, this isn't a big deal, this isn't emotionally painful, this isn't difficult. No, 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 no. Gospel goodbying actually has to look square in the face what the Father is asking us to sacrifice in the name of the gospel and gospel goodbying recognizes that there is a severity of pain in that. There is a severity of hurt. For some, when this all came about back in March, uh, when we actually began to publicly announce this, I don't remember when that members meeting was, somewhere around, I think, April or May, there was a long process of recognizing, man, I think I'm angry. Wait, I think I'm confused. Wait, I think I'm really excited. There's a recognition of the different emotional 
processes that we all have to go through. Notice what Paul says here. He doesn't gloss over what's about to happen in their community. In verses 25 and 38, Paul says in verse 25, And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Verse 38, Paul recognizes something, and so do they, and they weep their eyes out over it, saying, being sorrowful, why? Most of all, because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. What Paul is saying, and what Luke was telling us, is that they recognized there was going to be a drastic change in their relationship, and that hurt. The dynamic of their relationship was going to change, and what they were losing in one sense was a good thing, and to lose a good thing is a painful thing, and so they had to recognize that and look it square in the face and weep over it and grieve over it. And in this process, Taproot, you're going to have to give my family patience and grace, and I'm going to have to give you patience and grace. As we navigate this emotionally together, able to bring to the Father the recognition that the dynamic of our relationships are going to change. Can I tell you a quick story just so you know what this has been like? My trying not to cry at the front end of this sermon is just the tip of the iceberg. I had asked the elders when we left on vacation at the end of July, hey, fellas, look, if you guys, if this church is sending me to plant, I've got some serious work I need to do, fundraising, I've got some serious decisions I have to make. Could you guys really pray through vacation and, and, and see, go through the emails, go through the, the, I don't know, how many dozens of conversations we've had with multiple people in the church, like listening to the spirit. Could you guys come up with a consensus and give me a general direction? Jim says, you want me to call you on vacation if, if we make that decision? I'm like, yes, call me. <laughs> so we are driving from Coeur d'Alene to McCall in my sweet minivan with my kids and my wife, and the phone call comes in, and they're all waiting for the phone call. Guys, it's Pastor Jim. So everybody goes dead silent in the van, and I get on the phone, and, and I'm waiting for their, their communication with me, and, and Jim says, look, we've been praying we feel like the consensus of spirit in the church and certainly on this elder board is that the spirit is setting apart your family and we want to send you to San Diego. And of course, I was just flooded in that moment. And so I hang up the phone and my voice gets shaky. And I say, kids, uh, you know, the church is going to send us to San Diego. And it was like for me, like 10 years flashed before my eyes. But then I look back and all of my kids and my wife, they're all ugly crying, like snots coming out of their nose. And we're just driving from, from Coeur d'Alene to McCall on vacation, just bawling our eyes out, both in exhilaration, in absolute terrified fear, in absolute, oh, this is going to hurt so badly. We're just weeping and crying. So we put on the worship music. My wife is like, why don't we just put on a worship song? So we put on the worship song. And the first song that comes on is this song by United Pursuit, Lay It All Down. Lay it all down. So we're just singing at the top of our lungs, lay it all down. <laughs> just weeping, recognizing, recognizing. I think that I want you to be invited into recognizing this loss and the dynamic change that's going to happen in our relationship. Now, I'm not going to tell you you're never going to see my face again. That's not, that's not true at all. In fact, the elders were already working in concert with how do we partner Park Hill and Taproot more deeply? How do I, as an apostolic overseer of the churches, stay in concert with these churches coming back like if we get into the building after I leave I would love to come back and dedicate the building and just commend you guys unto the grace of God 
those types of things. I'm going to be in relationship with Taproot Church, really, for all of eternity. You guys are an epistle on my heart. But the dynamic of our relationship is going to change. You can't text me and be like, hey, Danny, let's go grab beers. I need to talk to you about something. That's, and that's painful. We need to recognize that and just walk through that together and take our pain to Jesus and recognize that that's a healthy thing to let his grief and our grief take it where it will. Number two, gospel goodbyeing through the fall is going to recognize our loss, but it's also going to make some resolutions. Two resolutions that I want to highlight from the text. As we say goodbye in a gospel framework, we are going to, number one, resolve to obey the Holy Spirit. Resolve to obey the Holy Spirit. Notice what Paul did here in verses 22 through 24. Paul says to the church in Ephesus, And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem. And notice why he says he's going to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit constrains me. I am constrained, Paul says, by the Holy Spirit. And then he's just very honest. I don't know what's going to happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies that in every city, imprisonment and afflictions await me. Now, I certainly am praying to God that imprisonment and afflictions don't await my family in San Diego. But we don't know. We don't know exactly what's going to happen when we get there. We have generalities. We've got ideas. I know generally what my role and my gift set is in that church plant. But it could go to hell in a handbasket. Church plants are volatile. They're very chaotic. And things can happen that wreck them early on. We don't know if the fundraising is going to come through. I may be swinging a hammer again, which I haven't done in 20 years. You know? We don't know. But we are resolved and constrained by the Holy Spirit. Paul goes on and he adds to that in verse 24. I don't account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold... I know that none of you among whom I have gone out about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Paul is saying, look, there is this resolution that I must obey. I must move forward. And in that resolution, he is encouraging the church as well in their process of gospel goodbying to resolve to fulfill the purpose for which God put us together. To resolve, to say, okay, we've resolved to send the Bragas to San Diego to plant a church, and now we're going to resolve to do our part in the kingdom because we're the ones that are still called here. We're the ones that are going to die together. We're the ones that are going to push into a, a bulwark for the gospel building. We are the ones that are going to continue to multiply and send out more church planters and pursue a multi-ethnic, diverse community of faith. We are the ones that have been commissioned to remain here and do the work, make disciples of all nations that radically reorient their lives around Jesus. You know, I was at the building all day yesterday with the group of guys and gals that were down there working, and, and uh, it, oh man, we're getting close. Like Darren said, we're going to be putting a drywall, it's going to be mudded and taped, and then we're going to paint it, and uh, there's only about 12 to 15 percent of the, the really nasty ceiling insulation to get in. I mean, it's just, it's moving forward. And I was telling the group of guys that I've been working with that afternoon that I think one of the things that I'm most excited about is how positioned you are to just destroy Burian with the gospel. You have these incredibly tight-knit relationships. 
Even in this time of transition, we're seeing new couples and new families. And every couple that I've met so far, even over the last month, when they've talked to me, they've just basically articulated the vision of Taproot Church and said, this is where we want to be. Without us giving to them the vision, they're just like, this is our heart. This is what we want to do. This is the kind of church we want to be in. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's Taproot. (laughs) Just this positioning, this team of elders that are overseeing you, the possibilities for new leadership that's gifted way beyond, way, way beyond what I'm gifted in, to push in and just wreck Burian with the gospel. But you have to resolve to take up your cross and be responsible right now. Taproot, you can't be sitting there saying, well, I'll look to the next leader that comes in. I'll look to the elders that look in. No, right now you have to absorb this and resolve in your own heart. As I'm saying goodbye to Danny and this this season of Taproot Church, I'm resolving in my own heart, what is my responsibility? What is God constraining me by the Holy Spirit to do to fulfill the ministry that he's given me? There's no twiddling the thumbs on this. There's no case, sarah, sarah, I'll see what happens, maybe if it fits my mold of what I want to happen. No, it is a resolution that none of us know exactly what's going to happen. But if we do resolve, constrained by the Holy Spirit, to obey, to fulfill the ministry he's given us, you will wreck this city with the gospel. You will wreck it. The kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. And that which my wife and I were part of planting, you will water and bear the harvest. Gospel goodbying resolves to obey, but it also resolves to be presently and completely sober-minded and alert. Sober-minded and alert. In verses 28 through 32, look what Paul warns them to do. He says, look, after my departure, I want you to pay careful attention to yourselves. He calls the church to be responsible for themselves, to pay careful attention to themselves and to all the flock. This is to the elders, my commission to you, Paul's commission to them, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. I just, I got to make comment here. And I have to honor Jim and Janice Cobb. So I show up here 10 years ago, a punk, I mean, just a punk with this beautiful head of flowing hair. (laughs) And there were seven elders at the time in a a little ingrown church that had just really fallen apart on itself in the last, I don't know, five or six years of its life. And I sat down with those men and I began to express to them, look, eldership is a calling and trying to get them to get my vision for what eldership was. And I walked them through 1 Timothy and I essentially said to them, we're going to do this. And then rather than me just firing all of you and asking for your resignations, I want you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit, what does he want from you? Jim Cobb was the only one, the only one of all of those men who came to me and he said, There's only been one other instance that I can think of where I felt like I heard the voice of God and I am called to be an elder of this church, constrained by the Holy Spirit. What I want you to hear is that God has constrained and called by the Holy Spirit the backbone, the the heartbeat, the lungs of this church. These men 
the elders of this church are the men that I've always dreamed of working with. It's another reason that it's so difficult for my wife and I to say, okay, we're going to go and frame up new relationships with younger leaders that we don't have a lot of relational history with. For 10 years, I've prayed and longed for a team of men like what we have at Taproot Church. And these men are called, qualified, high-capacity leaders, constrained in obedience to the Holy Spirit, who are alert theologically, who are alert pastorally. And that is the oversight under which this church is being placed. We can celebrate that. And then with Paul's admonition, we can say we all need to be alert through the fall and as we get into the building and as we continue doing mission. Guys, honestly, I'm going to be completely frank with you. In leading churches, this is what I've come to understand. It feels like you're carrying a pyramid of marbles. Always. I don't care if it's a church plant or if the church has existed for 20 years and is one of the most influential megachurches that the Western church has ever seen. In the span of three months, that pyramid of marbles can just go if we are not alert. The war isn't over. The war is raging around us. And so each of us are resolving to obey and resolving to be alert, resolving to pray for our elders, resolving to pray for and obey and hear and yield to those that God shepherds us through, and also to be responsible in our awareness and our maturing as we're growing, as we take up our responsibilities to fulfill the commission that God has given us. Number three, as we wrap this up, through the fall, gospel goodbying is going to be a process of recognizing, dang, this hurts. Dang, this is tough. Wow, this makes me want to cry. But I'm going to take that grief together with the Bragas and with my family around me, and we're going to go to Jesus. Gospel goodbying, number two, resolves to obey and to be alert as a community of faith. And number three, gospel goodbying remembers. Gospel goodbying remembers. Remembers what? One, it remembers what we've learned. Read with me again in verses 18 to 21. Look at what Paul does with the church. He reminds them of what he's done with them. He had been in Ephesus for three years. Uh, Paul just caused riots in Ephesus. Wherever Paul went, culture just got rocked and things got turned upside down and uh, the economic system got wrecked in the city of Ephesus through Paul's ministry. Pretty, pretty awesome. But read with me in verses 18 to 21. Paul says, look, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day I set foot in Asia slash Burian, serving the Lord with all humility. Just with tears and trials that happened through the plots of the Jews, how I didn't shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, look, don't forget what you've been taught. Luis asked us the other night in our time with him, you know, what are the things that you just most cherish or love about Taproot Church? And what are the things that bother you or are weaknesses? And I express that the great strength of this church is that we're okay with our weaknesses because we actually believe the gospel. 
Like, this church is framed by the gospel. Like, you have been taught and you have embraced the fact that you are accepted and loved on the merits of Jesus Christ, which means that you're free to be vulnerable with each other. You're free to get angry with each other and forgive each other. You are free to be more fully yourselves because of the great work of Jesus. As we say goodbye, that is my commission to the church, is to remember the gospel. It is to remember what you've been taught. It is to remember that Christianity and our entrance into the kingdom of God is through many trials, troubles, tribulations, confusions, points of discouragement, oppression, upheaval, back and forth, up and down, all around, in the washing machine, turbulent hurricane that is this life. Remember what you've been taught. Remember the gospel. And then Paul says in verses 26 to 27, Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all of you, for I didn't shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Ben Witherington comments here on that little section saying this. In essence, what Paul is arguing with the Ephesian church is that he has successfully discharged his duties in Ephesus and that therefore they are now responsible for heeding his example and teachings on their own meaning live in light of the gospel, live radical lives of risk and faith reoriented around Jesus. Don't forget what God has given you through the teachings of the scriptures. Live in submission one unto another. Die for one another. Again, I want to gently and humbly address those that have been saying, I'm going to leave because Danny's teaching isn't there. That breaks my heart because you're just saying that you never actually heard what we taught. You never heard it, that we are a family committed one unto another until the Lord says, die or send. And so think through these things, pray through these things, and remember these things. They also needed to remember the good in these, guy, in these goodbyes. Look at verse 32. Paul says, Now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Gospel goodbyes always remember that we are saying goodbye for good things. That you are going to be, I am going to be, we will be rewarded in the kingdom to come with a greater inheritance because of our sacrificial lives. Because we gave, because Paul commends them there towards the end of his commissioning to them saying, remember what Jesus said, it's better to give than to receive. These goodbyes are the giving of ourselves to the will of the Lord in total obedience. And we have to remember that these gospel goodbyes are so short in duration of time. As I've said over the past few weeks, in 80 years, you're all dead. And we're all together. And hopefully we've trained up our kids and our grandkids and our great, 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 great grandkids, should the Lord tarry, not to do dumb things with the gospel. But our gospel goodbye is short in duration. And so this is preparation for that time when we finally say hello to each other as we fully are sanctified. And we get to see all that God did through our painful sacrifices of saying goodbye to one another. And then finally we close with this. Gospel goodbyes always remember. We need to remember why we're doing this moment by moment. Why are we doing this? The answer is found in verse 36 through 38. Read with me. As we say goodbyes, we need to remember these things. He said these things, verse 36. He knelt down and prayed with them all. That pictures why we're doing this. Just envision this in your mind. You have the elders of the Ephesian church. They've been through riots with Paul. 
like riots. It sounds very much like Taproot. Just crazy shenanigans in the city. They've weathered it. The church has weathered it. There are people present in this meeting that have been through some really tough times together and weathered stuff together. And so what do they do? They remember why they're saying goodbye. They remember by what? First, kneeling. They are kneeling, which means they are actively in body submitting in obedience to Jesus. And they are praying. In gospel goodbyes, we are remembering that Jesus said the ultimate goodbye to his father and was sent away from eternal community to come and be one with us. And so these elders and this man, Paul, they kneel in worshipful, prayerful obedience. They kneel before a God who said goodbye to his own son. And they can surrender in that kneeling posture and they can pray and they can remember that Jesus took the ultimate goodbye on the cross. Jesus was ultimately separated from the Father so that we could kneel here in this world before him in obedience, knowing that we are accepted. And though we may separate from one another for short durations of time until the king comes, because Jesus was separated from the Father, we are united as one with each other. Gospel goodbyes are a posture of kneeling in obedience to Jesus in worship. We need to remember that. At 2 o'clock in the morning when I'm freaked out, At 9 a.m. when you just want to text me and go get a cup of coffee and just hang out and talk about the Bible and I'm gone, we have to remember that in that moment we're kneeling together in prayer and we're saying, Jesus, you were sent for us and so now we send and we release. Jesus, we kneel before you. We remember that you gave everything so that actually we're not losing anything in the long run. Whatever we give up here is only for greater gain in the kingdom to come because you gave everything. Through this fall, as we get into the book of Exodus, we get into a brand new building. New folks join the church. Converts are made. Baptisms are happening. Disciples are being made. This process of gospel goodbying should recognize the pain and the loss with honesty, with tears that lead us to Jesus, who wept over us and now awaits us in his kingdom with smiles that we cannot even imagine. Gospel goodbying resolves this morning in our time of communion to obey, to be alert, and gospel goodbying remembers, remembers what we've been taught, remembers what will be rewarded, and remembers this great king who welcomes us with this eternal invitation to community and life together that we're doing this to create these new communities out there where the kingdom will break in on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to pray for us, and Pastor Will and the crew are going to come up and lead us in worship. We'll have a moment of meditation in our time of communion. I would exhort you to come forth and take the bread and take the cup in the first song as we create lines. And if you want to go and grab your children now, bring them in for a time of worship and a time of communion. But let's just envision ourselves as a community this morning kneeling before this God who said goodbye so that we could be with him eternally. Let's kneel in our hearts before one another. Some of you may feel compelled to actually kneel this morning in communion on your knees. If your knees can handle it, I would exhort you to lead with the body. And let's just embrace how the Spirit leads us through this fall. Yes and amen.
Let's stand. Father, we, uh, we surrender to you now in a wholehearted obedience. We thank you that these goodbyes are temporal, that these goodbyes are not eternal. Father, we ask that as we commune with you here around the table, that indeed you would assure our hearts of the goodness in what we're endeavoring to do as a church. I pray that you would come alongside this community by the Holy Spirit and that you would whisper in their ears so loudly, well done, faithful and chosen. That they, as they make this sacrifice to send their friend, their brother, one of their leaders and shepherds to, to create this through the gifts of the Spirit again in another city. And even prayerfully, Lord, should you grant more time and energy as I age to do it again and do it again until you come. God, I'm praying that you would grant such perspective. God, I'm praying that Taproot Church would just wreck Burien. I have, I have come to grips with the fact that you called us here to plant these seeds of the gospel. You called us here to, to learn about what relationship and what the church is. This church was handpicked to fix me, literally. There are people in this room that know what that means so well. That the conflict, the hurts, the fears, the chaos... I feel in so many ways was just designed by you to fix me. But Lord, seeds have been planted. And even as Paul said, some are called to plant and some are called to water. And, and I've come to realize that I won't get to water this and, and see the harvests. It's not my place. And I'm glad to hand it over to this community of people that love you and are devoted to you and sing to you and praise you and trust you. God, I pray that the harvest they are going to reap would blow their minds. I pray that in the coming years, they would step back and they would say, look at what God has brought forth. Look at what God has done. As they remember the gospel, as they live lives of sacrifice, as they commune with one another, as they seek to die with each other, as they die for this city. Thank you that your hand will be holding our hands through the fall. Thank you that Lord, for even the Castellanos, that you, Lord, are guiding them and directing them and you're making clear their next steps and their path and whoever else you may bring in this process of discernment and prayer. Thank you that you're a good shepherd and you lead us to still waters and green pastures. So today in our time of communion with you, may we meditate on that image of kneeling before you as a point of remembering why we're even doing this. Why would we sacrifice like this? Why would we hurt like this? It's because we kneel in obedience to a king that took the ultimate hurt and shame. And we know, God, we know that you're sending us and you're multiplying this reality into the world through the church. So we kneel before you as a family of believers. Unite us, bind us. May we sing to you as one voice and one heart and one mind. In Jesus' name.